Last week we did very little text and we spent time on that very wonderful Shimon Bar story with the cave, etc. Anybody who's not here, I have a text. I'll give it to you afterwards. Come up to see me afterwards, okay? Um, it's just one of those classic stories I just thought we needed to do um, because of this, the concept here of Shimon Bar Yochai coming in um, and saying, and basically them saying, he's a, you know, this Torah and Derek Eretz and, and just Torah and everything and the Shimon Bar Yochai is the best example of the zealotry uh, of just Torah alone and yet, as we all know, his... Uh, his memory is considered to be uh, of a supreme importance in Lagba Omer and Meiron and uh, etc. So, it, as I say, it's one of those classic stories we try to analyze uh, in different kind of ways um, and it leads us back to the text itself. So unless anybody had any questions or comments on the story, um, I think it was worthwhile to do the story itself. I'm sure those of you uh, in education can use it in many different ways uh, in, in, in it itself. So where we are at in terms of the text is Lamed He Amud Bet 35b. We're at the Gimel Amar the Amar Rabba Bar Bar Chana. Okay. So just a little past uh, the text that we finished last time. So if everybody can find it in your own books, tell me when you're ready. Everybody accept? This is 156. So, the, we go back to the text of our, what we're concerned about is, what we have been concerned about is the blessings beforehand, you recall, and, and where that comes from. Um, and that eventually led us to concepts of God's uh, blessings for people, which eventually led us to the Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai story of having to do with Torah and work at the very same time. They're going to come back in a moment to the questions themselves of what brachot do you say and when do you say them and all that kind of stuff. But even before they do, they have some interesting comments um, that relate to, if you will, uh, a hierarchy and a concept which I'll spend a little bit of time on in terms of my own thinking um, in, in this kind of uh, statement. So we're at the Gimel. It says, Amar Rabba Bar... Okay, everybody have it? So, again, what we, we have an ancient tradition here. Um, Rabbi Yehuda Bar-Ilai is one of the students of Rabbi Akiva. So, really one of the early times in terms of a Tanaitic statement brought by others. And it, that becomes important because of the statement itself. All right, somebody want to read for us today? I'll read it if no one else wants to. Okay, please. Amar Rabavar Chana Amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabbi Yehuda Barabi Eli. Po Ure Shalo Kedarot Harishonim Tarot Haacharonim. Okay, so there is a statement here. Come and see, or look and see, that the earlier generations are not near the, like the latter generations. We're going to see here a statement that the earlier generations were of greater piety, of greater religiosity, of greater observance, of greater Yerat Hashem than the latter ones. So what kind of statement is that? What kind of statement? When you hear that, earlier generations were much more pious than we are today. Judgmental. Hmm? Judgmental. Judgmental. Okay, by whom? 
whoever said it. Okay, by the by the people who are saying it right now, because they're referring right. to the past. Right. Normally, right. it could be the past generation too. Right. If they're still living. If they're still living. Okay. Good. Who? What else? What else do you think of? It's nostalgic. It's nostalgic. Okay. That the old day kadesh yamenu kikedem. The old days were so good. The good old days. Okay, the good old days, exactly. Martha? It's, also, it's a little bit against new ideas that emerging whenever the now is. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's a romanticization of some ways, too. Everything was so good. So you had, you know, when you, when you studied Talmud years ago, it was, wow, every, you, everybody was so pious and religiously observant and followed everything. We've learned that that wasn't the case. Would you dig Rabbi Yochanan for us? Rabbi Yochanan. Yeah. Rabbi Yochanan is is probably Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai. So we're dealing with Second Temple, post Second Temple periods. Rabbi Rabbi Barbarchan is later already. So you have a later tradition by an earlier tradition by still a, an earlier tradition. Okay. So uh, under those kind of conditions, you have a, a, basically a sense of those days were much better than today. Okay, and in some ways you romanticize the past. Everybody does that in some ways because you gloss over very often. Okay, example. Just to, just throw out a few examples. For instance, fiddler on the roof in the shtetl. All of a sudden, everybody thought of the shtetl. Everybody wanted to get out of the shtetl. Yeah. <laughs> everybody wanted to get out of the shtetl. All your grandparents or you were we all we all wanted to get out. And yet, when you looked at fiddler, it was. Let's romanticize the, the shtetl and how it was then. Everybody couldn't wait to get out, if they possibly could. Okay, you romanticize the past I in terms of, you know, all of us tell our children or our grandchildren, oh, remember when all our families used to live together, all in the same house or in the same apartment building or down the street. Half the time you wanted to get away from your relatives. <laughs> You know, it was good at certain times, and other times, I guarantee, without tell, don't tell me any stories, because I don't want to know, <laughs> it wasn't always that good either. So we, we said, to, we said to, you know, we, there's a sentimentality that's touched in. In, in halakhic circles, it's really very important, uh, because it basically states that, as I said, there's two concepts here. One is, the further back you go, the more authentic the tradition so that's why you can always try to get somebody who's an earlier tradition. If you can get an earlier tradition, you get a Tana from the time of the Mishnah rather than the time of the Gemara. If you can go earlier than that, we've seen if you can get a biblical source, that's the best thing you can do. And that's why we spent a lot of time at the beginning of this t context to say, where can you find a biblical source to say that you say a blessing before the food? We finally found out, eh, you can't. You can use a hermeneutic principle, which isn't as strong. You can use svara. You can use the rational. If you're, if you're going to say one once, blessing once you're satiated, how much the more so should you say one when you're hungry and you're going to eat? But that's not an authentic because you can. You, when you use logic, somebody can come with another form of logic. When you use a biblical verse, you're dealing with revelation. So there's always this sense of trying to go back. This happens a lot with ancient literature. Okay, things attributed to great scholars, attributed to pious individuals. It happens in the history of almost every country. Okay, think again. Okay, how, how many of you were raised with the founding fathers of this country? Okay, until you found out that they were all slave owners, 
they weren't so perfect and all those kind of things okay but we romanticize the past in a number of different ways on the other hand we also see the importance of advancement the, the last halakha is stated by the last person is really where the halakha stands you can go back to the constitution but in legal terms the last interpretation of the constitution is the one that now formed by the supreme court is the one that you follow you may like the ones that were done in the 1840s but it's the last one I'd like to suggest that there's a conflict with that in so many ways. There's a conflict with that in terms of culture. Oh, remember, you know, you know my dad Alva Shalom used to say, oh, I remember the old music, you know, and then the 60s came and he couldn't stand it, right, with all that kind of stuff, okay? The music that your teenagers are listening to now, what a bunch of, but when I was growing up, right? Yeah, sure. Then their parents thought it was crap. Right, then they thought it was crap because their, par their parents... So culture, I think, plays that way. In some ways, a whole sense of religion plays that way too. In a pristine way, we look in the past and say, oh, it was so wonderful, and now look at today with all the challenges, etc. On the one hand, that is true. Life was a little simpler in some ways. And on the other hand, some of the stuff happening today is innovative, exciting, challenging, etc. So, you know, when I went to the seminary, the thought was, whoa, you, you missed the golden years of the Finkelsteins and the Ginsbergs and the, and the Heschels and all of this. I tell the students now, I came right at the end. I did study with Professor Lieberman. I did sit in a course with, with Professor Finkelstein. Heschel was alive the first semester that I was there. I saw him standing in lunch, you know, that kind of thing. I never studied with him. He was not a good teacher from everybody's perspective. A great writer, but not a good teacher. And I tell them now, ah, you guys who you're studying with, they're only the students of the students, as the case may be. You know, so you have this in realm too. How much, um, I, my, my perspective, maybe this is wrong, that, the, that things improve is a relatively recent concept. That technological, uh, you know, like 100, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, there wasn't this sense that things will always get better. Uh, the technology will improve uh, here in this country. Lifestyles will get better. Uh, your parents will, you know, your kids will do better than your parents. That seems to me is a relatively recent. I, I don't know. It may go back to the Industrial Revolution. Okay, because that was a change in society. It may go back to emancipation. There are certain eras of the modern era that I think created the opportunity for advancement, and they, there was a feeling that we're at a new stage. Was that true back in the time of the Talmud? We don't know, because it's all we got. We don't know. There was no doubt that they simply lived their world in a, in a box. Okay, And that was part of the argument of last week. Part of the argument of last week is, do you live yourself in the box of Torah, or do you challenge yourself by being out in the world, too? And you recall, they didn't like what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai said, just put in, be yourself in the box. Because, you gotta be because as soon as you go to the outside world, as we well know, all right? I remember when I was going to Israel the first few times, and I'm sure everybody's had the experience. Where did you want? Well, you wanted to walk through Me'asharim. You know, it was like the, the old Polish world. I don't go near the place now. Okay? From, from the values that, that have been created in that place against what I think to be appropriate values. You know? So I think things change in that realm, too. There is a romanticization of the past. I, I would think that, the, you know, the Russian Revolution, even, there was no doubt that they felt they were creating a better society. 
socialism in the 19th century. Okay. Other religions. The liberations of the 19th century and those things. Other religions, Catholicism, yeah. Islam, they like to have their roots back to um, the Old Testament, but they're also always you know, right. looking perspective. So it's difficult to say, Steve, but I think that there were certain epochs in history where people really felt we're at a new stage. Today we feel a new stage every day. There's things right. are changing so fast that we can't keep up, even if you tried. Even if you tried. Um, and so, and somewhat as that is so challenging and, and so difficult to maintain uh, yourself in this world, um, you know, just, you know, I, you know, I said, you recall when I, when I talked to, in Yom Kippur, I talked about the concept of aging and this 112-year-old woman, and I said to myself when I read the obituary, my God, what she saw in her life. But you know something? You know, my 10-year-old grandson has seen it so much in his life already in terms of the changes. When he he can't fit, appreciate it, we can appreciate it a little more. So there is this concept of a nostalgic past that you know was all life was good and pristine and everything. And on the other hand, is society advances, modernize, cures for medicine today are around that were not even thought of. What decade and decade and a half ago even? I mean, we're not talking back to our grandparents, etc. Um, you know, so it, I, there is a, I think there's this tension. And, and re, religion plays it out very seriously because on the one hand, you have to be rooted in the past. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, that religion is, and I believe Judaism is, I believe definitely conservative Judaism in the past. But this concept that was created of tradition and change, which was used by Mordechai Waxman in his book and became the, the motto of the conservative movement for many years, it creates a real challenge. What is appropriate change and what is appropriate tradition and when does those changes are made and how fast are those made and all of the rest. So you have here a statement of the old generations were much better, they were more pious, they were more as you'll see in a minute, they were more observant, they were more studied in their ways, etc. The newer ones, eh. And there are statements that say that you have rabbis in the village saying as you know you know, I'm simply standing upon the, the shoulders of the greats. Another one which basically says, you got, the, the oldest ones are simply chamorim compared to what there used to be. Simply donkeys compared to what used to be. Uh, they don't have any concept of what really life is about. Also, there is something when we go on past, we were young. So it was kind of a protected world in a sense. Mm -hmm. Looks yeah, it looks. It always looks better. Yeah, it, it, not always, but again, I said I think. Yeah, again, look at as a post field on the roof. What the shtetl became, and everybody wanted to relive the, those things, etc. Nobody wanted to relive the shtetl. You want to get the hell out of there as fast as you could. You possibly couldn't go to the new world. That was everybody wanted. Well, that's the same thing as when we were young and we had to say for Thanksgiving you had to cook and do all this stuff. You said, "Oh, I really hate this," but then when you get older. You say, oh, wasn't that fun? I miss doing that, and I remember all the things you did. That's what happens with a lot of and things. You don't do it. Some of it is our own capabilities, so we can't do what we used to do. And some of it was the world was a little simpler, okay, in some ways. And simpler, I mean by just in terms of family events. You know, today, most of us, to even be with family, have to travel and work out this thing and that. You know, it's like, it's unbelievably complex. Uh, and you, when you find somebody who has their children or grandchildren in the same city, you say to them, "Oh, are you lucky?" Right? You hear that? Uh, I say that too. You know, and everybody says that. And he said, and, and sometimes you kind of say, "Oh, wow!" Sometimes it's better than 
<laughs> There's somebody else. Here. You'll see it. You'll see it. <laughs> you know, it's the old story. Is it better to be somebody? I, I saw somebody the other day at the, when the Thanksgiving project. No names. And I said to me, "How are things at home? How, how are things?" He says, "Well, you know, we're empty nesters now. I like it. My wife really doesn't drink." <laughs> I said, "You'll work it out." <laughs> you know, so. You have to deal with, and that I think is a very important statement, and you're going to see why in a minute. But, but the concept is really a, an interesting one in the way they understand it here. From the point of view of authenticity, the further back you go, the better. That happens in biblical archaeology too. The further back you can find something, the more authentic you may think it to be, right? Yes, uh, without a doubt, without a doubt. There are stops along the way which created huge problems and continue to create huge problems. Again, the, oldest manus the older the manuscript, the more authentic the text normally in, in this kind of work. Okay, but even the Torah, which is that's the, the one place we go back to to say it, that's really true if it comes from the Torah, but even the Torah, that was codified too. Depends how you take it. If you take it, it all coming from Sinai. It all comes from the Kodesh Baruch It all comes from Revelation. If you take it that certain parts were given and other parts were interpreted and there was a human hand, depends how you understand it. Right. No, no, no. There, there was a human hand attaching to, to canonization. Without even the, the Talmud talks about that. So there is a process. There's a process to everything. Okay, uh, it, there's an evolving process to 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 life and to to live to religion to f philosophy to history as that realm. You know, the question is, it's you know, is it Nietzsche? Is it cir circular? Is it linear? Is it you know, is it different work from the Greek world to the the Jewish Christian world? It's uh, it's not simple. That's true. Anyhow, I thought I would think, let you think about these kind of things because uh, it's really important. Now they're going to give you an example. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, for, probably for the general population here, if you're correct, but, but there are a group of people that, that, are, that their emphasis is on uh, learning, knowledge, education, and uh, feel that now is the best time ever in history to be alive. Mm -hmm. uh, simply because of the availability and the ease of, of, of getting whatever information you want. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, right. You have to uh, uh, filter some of that out because there's so much right. of it. Yeah. But so the much. ease of it <laughs> and the amount is greater than any point ever. That is correct, which is why the Hasidim are challenged, the Amish are challenged, all those as societies which want to remain static, what do they do? They don't allow you. To, to, that you may be able to, you know, you'll go to a Hasidic, but they'll use the, the iPhones and everything else, but it's all filtered. It won't, they won't do many things that, you know, etc., that you can decide yourself what to use and what not to use. So technology becomes a danger because it deals with the outside world. It works both ways. It works both ways. All right. We'll go back to the text. The Rosh Nima Su Toratan. Kevab umachtan arai. Ayumachisim. He must must assume. Umachasim. Ayumachisim. Yeah. I'm sorry. Bo urei shalom. Come and see. No, no. The word we're reading him. Ayumachisim perotehem. 
I'm wondering if I'm at the wrong Va'amarad Rabba Bar Barachana. Is it both? I'm sorry. Am I this one or this one? This one, this one. Oh, it helps. Thank you. Yeah, it does help. Bo Urei Shalob Kedarot Haroshinim Dorot Acharonim. Okay, now that was there were two. The, the, what he points out is, if you look right above, it was the same thing that had to do with Torah and, and, and everything else. This is another statement about from Rabbi Babarachan. Dorot Haroshanim Hayu Miknasin Pirotehen Derech Truximon. Truximon. Kedem Lechayavan B'maser. Okay, so the earlier generations were much more pious. They would bring in their harvest, derech truximon, obviously not a Hebrew word, seems to be a big gate, the front gate. They would show everybody their harvest, and when they showed their harvest, what would that mean? They'd have to give ma'aser. Okay? If you declare your income, you've got to pay taxes. If you don't declare your income, unless you get caught, <laughs> you won't pay taxes, right? This, they're declaring their income. They were proud of what they got, and they knew that there was going to be a tax, the tithe to the levy. But they were pious enough, observant enough, and responsible enough that they took it in so everybody could see it. On the other hand, Ran min hamaaser. Okay, so on the other hand, Dorota Chonim, which means his generation. Right? His generation used to take their income and take it through Gagot, through the the chimneys, you know, such, through the roofs so nobody would see it. Derachatserot, the fields, okay, the such. Derachatserot, there's something like a, a small little place, you know. Fences. Okay? It's a fence. Okay. Storage area. Yeah. I would just like to back up for a moment to where uh, Rabbi Yochanan says the latter generations made their work permanent and the Torah occasional. That was the one last we week. Great. You don't have to accept anything. With a broad brush. These are all broad brushes. brushes. That's why I brought the story last week. You don't have to accept it. Okay? These are broad brushes. This is not halacha. This is, you know, value statements, if you will. And his, res his response is, it was much better in the old days. The old days were more pious, more religious, more just, etc. Because today they try to hide their income. Now, what is today? Is today post-temple? Well, you didn't have to give Maser. Alright? Okay, is it, so is it, you know, what is he playing with here? Is it, you know, I don't want to pay taxes because the taxes went to the Romans? I, I don't know what the story is because all these people are post-temple okay they're post-temple okay they don't want to pay taxes they don't want to give it so they would think of ruses to be able to find tax shelters if you will this is the equivalent this is the equivalent you know you know I had somebody I knew somebody who said they, they were an immigrant to this country and they were proud to pay taxes because it meant they made money and they were proud to give back to this country. Exactly. Most people say, uh, how, little, how, you know, how little can I give? They don't mind giving away money, but to the government, after all, you know, etc. Who knows what they're going to do with it. 
Okay, so that's that's the statement. Okay, so the Amar, because here we know, Tevil. Tevil is produce which is not yet had a Maaser. Okay? It's untithed harvest, and you cannot eat it until you've given away the gifts of Maaser, the tithe to the Levi, and the Truma to the Kohen. It doesn't yet belong to you until you give the, if you will, the tax. So, until it actually comes literally into the house. And the question is, what is the house here? Probably their domicile. That's why they would bring it in different kinds of ways. Where does that appear, Michael? No, no, it's a good thought, but we don't do bidikat kamets from the Torah. Very close, very good. So he says from the Haggadah. It's not not this one being the Haggadah, but the previous one is Aramiel Vedavi. When you when he comes kitavo alaretz, you come to the Kohen and you say. You all know it from it's encapsulized history. And now I'm back. And then you continue to say what's known as Vidui Maser. I have given Mas. I didn't need it. I didn't do it in the morning, etc. I've come and tried to give my gift. The background is the history, which you're all familiar with because it's the Magid section of the Haggadah. And then this other phrase which says, and now that I'm here, I'm going to confess that I've, appro- uh, I've dealt with this appropriately. I'm now giving my maaser, and I've finished my obligation. I can have this stuff. Okay, so that's the key, key word there. The bay clearly is the Beit HaMikdash, because he came to the Kohen and said, this is post, so it really means when you see the harvest in your home, when it's really gathered, that's when you give it. Or, afilu chatzer, according to Rabbi Yochanan, who was even little more permissible as such, saying, even if it hits your field, meaning your infenced area, your private domain, your private property, at that point you have to give it. Why it says, v'achlubi sha'arecha v'savvehu. And you will eat in your, sha- in your sha'ar, in your gates, and be satisfied. So, what we have here in this last little while are two statements of Rabbah Babar Khana. First one dealing with Torah and Avodah, and if you will, Avodah in terms of worship, but work, based on our story of Hashim Bar Yochai, which we did last week. And then this one brought, which doesn't quite have the same importance for us, because it doesn't deal with anything we're really dealing with, but it deals again because it's the same person, it's an oral tradition, same statement by the same person, he wrote these three individuals, Rabbi Barbarachana, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda Ba'ilai, romanticized the past and said the older, the older generation was just more pious, more observant, more just. And look at us. 
And in many cases, that's what's happened in Jewish tradition too. And on the other hand, as you know, sometimes the older generation wasn't involved whatsoever, and it's the children or the grandchildren who get involved. Hansen's law with the grandchild remembers the grandparent wanted to forget. Okay, so you have many of those stories among us as well. When you're talking about the older generation, which generation? The old days. When you say the old days, what do you mean? What are you referring to? You say, well, in the, in the old days. When I was young. When you were young, when your grandparents were, or things like that, right? Yeah. Or it may have been a couple of generations ago, you know, in the stories you've heard. Not back to the 15th, 16th centuries, you know. We don't have those stor real stories as such, same way. Yes, sir. What was the origin of the Achlubi Sharach of the Sovel? It's basically the same place. Okay? It's, it's, it's also Devarim. It's, it's, in, it's in the same chapter. It's a little bit late. It's just bef beforehand. Okay? Okay, now we're going to go back to where we were at the very beginning, which is what brachot do you say at the beginning before you eat? So we had, you say, Borei Priya Eitz, except for Yayin. Yayin, we've seen, has this, this important uh, ritual uh, knee, uh, concept, and that concept is involved in having a special blessing. So they're not going to, what, I'll ask our archaeologists here, besides wine, what other liquid was considered to be of great importance in ancient days? Olive oil. Olive oil. Okay? You know from the vats and everything else, and okay? Etc. Okay? And olive oil was used. Okay? Shemen was used a great deal. So the question that they're going to ask is is olive oil the equivalent of wine? Okay? In the same way, normally, if you're eating grapes, Okay, the question is, what bracha do you say? You can say borei priyagafen, but you can say borei priyaitz. It's no doubt that when you drink the wine, you say borei priyagafen. What about shemen? What about olive oil, which was in its day very precious and, and of an important commodity? And used for, sacri for sacramental. You used for sacramental purposes. It was. We we know that it was made at homes, etc. You've seen all of the the vats and how they created it, etc. Right, right, right. Yeah. It was used as anointing. No, no, it had a, it had a sacral part to it, without a doubt. Right. Though, in addition to an ordinary use, it also had a sacral thing. So that's going to be the question that they're going to ask now. So that we begin with chutzminayayin. So the the Mishnah basically said, uh, you say borei priya eats chutzminayayin, except for where you say borei priya gefen. That's the context of what we're going to read now. So we're going back, if you will, to the Mishnah after having spent a good deal of time on a, on some other place. Okay. Why is wine different? Why is wine different? That's the question they're asking. Aren't there other things that are used sacrally? Shemin being the, the key one. Aren't there other things that are important? Why does wine create that opportunity, that necessity of saying a special blessing when you drink the, the fruit of the vine? Why is wine different? 
Okay, perhaps Mishum Dishtani Iluya. means to be better. To, okay, in this case, in, since it's it, it changes for the better. Wine is something which is which is obviously very treasured, uh, not only today but in ancient times. Ishtani Livracha. Maybe it's because. It's been it's been changed to the better as it becomes a liquid, as it ferments, etc., etc. Then maybe it should be also changed for the bracha. One possibility. Now what about shemen? What about oil? Olive oil in particular. In this, isn't it the same way? In the same way that it is improved from the free from the. The, the olive itself, and now has so many uses. Shouldn't its bracha be changed as well? What would you say over over an olive? Well, priya eights, eights. Okay. Shouldn't there be a special blessing for shemen? Because we've seen it's used sacrally. It's used in, in a sacramental kind of way too. Shemen Zayat Mavarchin Alav Borei Priha Okay, so that's the question now. Why do we do Borei Priha over Shemen? Shouldn't there be another bracha when we do it? Now, this, this obviously has to do when you eat it, drink it, whatever the case may be. We usually don't drink olive oil. Usually don't, but you use olive oil, right? Yeah. Okay, so they're going to come back to that. It's not smelling it or anything like that. You have to do the equivalent in terms of the wine as such. Amre Hassam. Mishum Delo Efshar. Hechi Nevarech. Nevarech. Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. Go read, read the next. Sorry. Nevarech Bore Pri Hazayas. Pera Gufe Zayas Ikre. Okay, so they say Amre. What are you going? What bracha are you going to use? You know, borei priya eights. What are you going to say? Nevarak borei priya zayat. Same way as borei priya geffen. What's the big deal? Can't you make up a bracha borei priya zayat? The response is pera gufe zayat ikri. So the the fruit itself is called zayat. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you call? What wine is made of? Uh-huh. Anavim. Anavim. So you change the nomenclature. Okay, you change the nomenclature. When you use Shemen Zayat, you just, it's the same word. So what are you going to say? Borei Pri Azayat? That's what it is. It's the fruit of the, the Zayat tree. Okay? Borei Pri Agafen is a little bit different because the real fruit of the Geffen of the vine is Anavim. Right? So you change you change the concept here. How they're saying they're playing with the name. It's the the, the nomenclature itself. Can you come up with a different nomenclature? With Priyazayat, that would be the same thing as the as, as eating an olive. Okay, it's not the same thing as eating a grape, which is called anavim. This is Priyagafen. So what would you say Priyaits? Well, that's right. We said Priyaits. What what bracha are you going to say? Even if you think that you should, what words are you going to recite? 
that's the question that they're they're dealing with. First of all, grapes actually grow on vines. Sorry, grapes actually grow on vines, not trees. That's right. Right. Okay, that's true too. But we still say great grapes. So somebody comes and says, you know, okay, you don't break bread. So break pre eight says I, the fruit of the Zayat tree. You know, you're going to play a game with me. I'll think of smarter than you. You know, I'll come up with a better answer. What's the big deal? We can make up a bracha. You just use it in a different kind of naming concept. Lo Zion. Zion comes from Zan. Okay, from Mazon. Okay, so so how? Okay, so it says here, Hamra Zion, Mishka Lo Zion. You can wine is considered to be a real meal, a far part of a meal, an important part of the meal. You can get satiated from wine, not always to the good, but it's okay. But Shemen. You put it on a salad, or you put you know you're not gonna drink. Sit there and put in a cup of of shemen and drink it no, in the same way. What? It's the it's the fat that right. makes you feel filled. Right. So right. Okay. It's a different concept today. Okay. But we're not, so so they're saying here you you want to make an equivalent. You can't make an, quite an equivalent between chamra, which is the wine, and shemen, which is Mishka, which is Shemen. Now, Mishka is an interesting word. What word do you know from Mishka? Nimshach, to anoint. That's what it's called. That's to anoint. That you use Shemen to anoint. That's the, the Aramaic word. Mishka. Okay, so Mashiach, the anointed one. Exactly. That's exactly what Mashiach is. The Messiah is the anointed one. And this is the said that's now you. The, the Shemen is in, in Aramaic is, is Mishka. Response? Mishka lo Zion. I know you're really telling me that you can't get filled up with Shemen. I'm going to bring you a source from another place that's going to say, talk about that. Vahatanan hanoder min hamazon mutar b'mayim uvamela. Hanoder. If you accept of a vow upon yourself, Okay, and you say, I'm not going to eat mazon. I'm not going to eat food. Okay, why would you do that? The same way as you would say, I want to dedicate myself to God, the, naz the Nazir. You know, you want to do something, and you know, if somebody said to me today that, uh, you know, his, his, his daughter was ill many, many years ago, and he said, you know, Kodesh Baruch Hu, if you. You know, if you, you give her a flama, she says she's written things, I'm going to pledge X amount of money to X amount of place. Okay? In those days, it was, they didn't have the money in the same sense. I'm going to do X. I'm going to go to shul for the next three weeks. I'm going to do this. Okay? We do, we do that all the time. You know? You know? In, in our own little way of, of playing uh, the way Yaakov did this coming week. Playing with God and saying, if you did this for me... I'll tell you, I'll pay you back. Well, the paying back in those cases was may have been a korban, may have been a sacrifice, or it may be this concept of, of doing a neder, okay, of taking upon yourself a vow. Normally, the vow was, I will not do X. Okay? Who continues that to this day? Lent. What is Lent all about? Um, you give something up. And why do you give it up? 
Okay? Because sorry, right? It's like that, yeah. Okay, it's it's giving something up to God in its own sense, yeah. Right, but they're they're making the equivalent with wine. So you know to use it for to use it for your oil lamp, you didn't say a bracha. The only time you would say a bracha is if you lit Hanukkah candles with it, or if you you know that kind of thing. You set it over the the, the light itself. Correct. But they're 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 making equivalent to yayin and in terms of food stuff. All right. So where does this put the bracha? That's a wholly different thing. That's a wholly different thing. La fresh is you had to give in the same way as you had to give your produce to God. The way you had to give your produce to God, you used to give away challah to the Kohen. Kohen didn't have it. That's not the same thing. No, no. So no dare here. This is neder. You'll kol nidre all that kind of stuff. And vows were a very important part of ancient Israel. And I say people do it in their own way today too. So I'm, I want to be, you know, God should be good to me. I'm not going to eat. You can't have water and salt. You can. You can't. That's what it says. So that's what you need. Huh? No, it does because you, Yom Kippur has nothing to do with a neder. Yom Kippur is halacha mina from the Torah that you can't. Good try. <laughs> good try. <laughs> you don't do a neder. I'm not going to eat on Yom Kippur. It's expected. <laughs> that was that was very good, Nessia. The Mayim of water and salt you can still have. That's not okay. Obviously, the Havban, the Havban ba Mayim of Melach who delo ikre mazon. Okay, that would mean that my water and bread and salt are not really considered mazon. If you say you're going to value, uh, take a vow that I'm not going to eat food, and you're allowed bread and salt, that means that that's not part of the neder, and that means that's not part of mazon, which would mean that everything else is. Hmm? My, I'm sorry, my mamela, right? My, my, right? Water, sorry. Did you just, uh, two minutes ago say that there is a bracha on the olive oil that you're going to use in the Hanukkah? No, you, no, no, no. Using the, if you use the olive oil to light candles, you say a bracha on the candles. On the candle, not the no, olive oil. No, no, okay. That's why we never, that's not the use. We're talking here of drinking it. You're talking here of drinking it. So, ma'imumela, sorry. Okay, that means everything that is not water and salt is mazon. You'll see why I said bread later. Go ahead. What's the meaning of the word ikri? The word? Ikri? Called? Ikri called. is called mazon. Everything that, that is not X is called Y. Haveni? ba? That means that. Another means it. It's stated that. Okay. No, not lahavin. That means understand. Yeah. This is an Aramaic word, which means it ultimately means this. It, I can I can produce in my in my rational thought this concept. Okay, so hal kol mile hal kol mile ikre mazon. Nema teheve teyufta the rav. That would mean they suggest that we now have a major question on Rav and Shmuel. 
Why? The Rav Shmuel, where Tzu said, the Amri ain mevarchin borei minei bezonot elab bechami chami shet haminin bilvad. You would only say borei minei mezonot for the five kinds of grains. Well, what's the question here? You have to say a bracha over everything. Everything is considered to be food. They said you only say it over certain kinds of things. The response is everything beyond water and salt is considered to be food. You have to say brachas over everything, not just those things that relate to the five grains. There's now a question they suggest on Rabu Shmuel if that's the case. I'm sorry. Omer Kol Hazan Alav. Kol Hazan Alai. Meaning, everything that is of food that I would normally eat, I take upon myself. When the word alai is used, it basically it's formulae concepts for a neder, for a vow. I take upon myself. So everything that was is ultimately foodstuffs, I take upon myself, is what he's basically saying here. Meaning more than just these kinds of things. But that means... Ah, then oil, you know, olive oil must also be considered foodstuffs, because it's told you so far that the only thing that's not considered foodstuff is water and salt. That means, I would presume, everything else. We just said above that it's really not it, that it, uh, wine is a is something which is considered to be foodstuffs. Well, oil isn't. Response is if we use this concept of, of, of that we've been using here of what is considered to be the neder then everything other than water and salt is considered to be food so so is shemen so is shemen doesn't and remember we said above why don't we say a bracha because wine is already considered to be food stuff and shemen isn't it says a use to yeah? There's a use to it beyond, besides wine and its sacramental purses and drinking, what else do you use it for? Cooking. Okay. No, but that's food, food stuff, okay? But shemen, you can use it for lighting things, besides food stuff. So it has another use as well. And therefore, it's not the equivalent. Response is, yeah, but it still is food stuff. So why, what about the bracha issue? Mm-hmm. We're back to the same spot again. Ella Hamrad Saeed Umish. You get filled up with wine, you don't get filled up with oil. Chamra again is okay. We got the same words Chamra and Mishcha. Sa'ed Seuda. Okay, it's a meal. It's a meal unto itself, if you will. You know, there are people. How many people sit down and, you know, just have a couple glasses of wine and really don't eat much after that? How many people sit down and have a glass of of olive oil and do that? Anybody you know? I know somebody who dips the bread in salt. Ah, that's a different story. The people dip it. But that there's a, as we'll see, there's an ikar and a tafel. That's a different. Okay? This is saying this is the, the real thing. What's the Hamra? Hamra is Hamar, which is wine. Yayin. Yayin. Okay, so that seems to be. Now the question became. 
No, the Chamra. I'm sorry, Chamra Misaid. Is it really satisfying, satiating like a meal? Okay, so let's go back to Arab Pesach. Okay, first mission of Arab Pesach tells you basically that you're not supposed to eat when? Late in the afternoon. Why? So you have Teavon for, for the matzah and the, and the meal. Okay? So, on the other hand, we have here Rabba Habeshate Hamra. He, he would drink wine, Kolma Aleyama de Pischa, all air of Pesach. I guess he wasn't cooking in the kitchen, right? Kihecha de Nigrare Lilibe. It would make his heart open, and he would eat more matzah, meaning it stimulated the appetite. Instead of satiating him, it stimulated his appetite. We've had yayana, we've said it's sa'id. Right? It's different than shemen because it's satiating. It's like a meal. Here we have an example of at least one rabbi who drank wine all afternoon, basically. Got ready for the Seder because it, it, it helped his appetite. I don't know. But it, it, is, it is interesting that you are very often, what do you sit down, when you invite people into your house, one of the first things you offer them? Drink a wine. Right? You hope that that will eventually... Right, with their appetite. Right, I don't know, or make them happy, right. Or then they don't care about the food. <laughs> right, right. Arab Pesach, we don't normally do that. I don't know if anybody sits down and, unless you're really over your head, you know, have wine in the middle of the afternoon on Arab Pesach and get ready that way. Four, yeah, four cups then, right. <laughs> By the time you get to Seder, you're sloshed. <laughs> Makes the Seder go very quickly. <laughs> you lie right on the table. <laughs> All right. The response is? Tova Garir Porta Said. Okay, so Tuva means a lot. Porta means a little. Tuva Garer. A lot of wine will make you want to eat. A little wine satiates you. I don't know what that means, frankly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know what they what they exactly mean by that. But a little bit of wine will kind of satiate you, and you'll feel filled. But more wine than that will make you want to eat. What? How about a scotch? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, and and is it really any kind of meal whatsoever? I mean. Now we're going to bring a verse. Okay, a great verse. Okay, a great verse. Yain, from Tehillim, Yain Yisamach Levav Enosh. Wine makes the heart happy. Okay? The Lechem Levav Enosh. Lechem will be the Suda. Lechem will fill up the heart, literally. Okay? Wine and bread, the two major things, of course. It's sacramentally, in terms of a meal. Wine makes the heart happy. Bread is the food. 
But what did we just have before? What is the considered to be the food? The wine. The wine. So they come back and say, Nahama. Nahama Nahama is Chlechem. Nahama. Who decide? We just have here, okay, Namahu decide. The bread is the one that satiates you. That's the real meal. Chamra lo Said. We just had above, then it's supposed to satiate you. It's supposed to be the meal itself. Ella. I mean, the, one of the great things of wine is not only it does it do one, it does both. Go ahead. You, you, your meal of wine will not only satiate you, but make you happy. Bread, it's a nice meal, but no bread's going to make you happy like wine. Not like wine. <laughs> Sorry, Millie. That's the people who drink wine, you know, or scotch. It's not the same thing. If you're hungry, it's one thing, but it's not the, not the same thing. To, to literally enliven, levav enosh really means to enliven the spirit. Bread's not going to do that. It may take away your hunger. Right. If it's now, and they're coming back, if it's a real meal, then say Brikadamazon after wine. Ah, you can't, you know, you can't have all things if you're going to say it's a full meal, if you're going to say it satiates. Well, that's like bread. What do you do after bread? Amazon. Well, maybe you should, if this is equivalent, Birkat Amazon. Nobody makes his su'udakavu. You, you sit down and have bread, that's a sitting down meal. Nobody says, I'm going to sit down and have a bottle of wine, and have, that's their meal. Okay? They're going to drink the wine. They may drink the wine, but it's not. It's not the same. And even if we, is again, in terms of modern aesthetics, when you walk into the house to somebody, they'll offer you a thing of wine. They'll say, uh, "Listen, how about some challah?" <laughs> when you sit down at the table, you have your your bread, right? So they, already in those days, they you know, in terms of the same kind of thing, wine will be an in, in a, in a, an introduction to the meal. It may, you know, it can fill you up, etc. But it's not the meal itself. You don't need Birkat Amazon. Bread, on the other hand, that's more filling. And they had a lot of bread. They didn't have much else, probably. And they would dip it in the shemen and all that kind of stuff, too. Okay? There's a difference between the two. And therefore, not Birkat Amazon for wine. You do say Bracha Achronal, Agefen Valpriya Agefen. You know that from the Haggadah itself, for instance, if no other time. And bread, on the other hand, you have to, it's the staff, quote unquote, staff of life. You, you, you have to say Birkat Amazon. Yeah. Is there any value judgment about somebody who sit at a table and just drink wine all day long? We'll see some of that yet, but not at this particular. Not so far. Oh, not so far. You have to say to you like before it's a full meal. Well, yeah. I mean, we know this nityam only is for bread. Okay. Um, last year, you recall, we did this chuva uh, that that was just issued, whether you do it or not for other things too. But wine, nobody's thinking of you know of. Right, correct. So that's why I said it's not. What they're basically saying it does satiate you. It's different than shemen, but it's not equivalent to bread. It's in the between the two. So you can't say you say a special bracha for it, but you don't eat have it like bread. In which case you have to use a brachadamazon afterwards.
not the equivalent. Which is mean, you know, you don't do niti like your dime, obviously, because it's not the same. It's not a full meal. Not a full meal. All right, Ella. Oh, Amarle. Amarle, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak Lorava, I Kava Ilave Sute Mai. What? What? You know? What's he supposed to do in this case? If you make that your meal, right? Um, you have to. What? What do you say? What do you do? How do you say the brachas? What do you say afterwards? And that's what. And then Ellie come with a great answer. Amarle. Eliyahu. Eliyahu. I don't know. When Eliyahu comes, he'll tell me the answer. There, okay? Very, very often you'll know the, the, the. We've had this before. You'll have four Hebrew letters. Teku. Teku. Elijah will come and give the answers. This is close to it, except it's spelled out. Elihu Vyomer Ihave. Okay, well, wait till, you know, have your wine, just be quiet. Eliyahu will come and tell you whether this is really Kviat Sudan, what you have to say, and etc. Hashta Miha. Hashta means now. Before Elijah comes, what should we do? You, basically what it is everybody makes it up as, as he goes along if you will and making up it go along means it's not a full suda we're not going to do Birkat Amazon etc if Eliyahu comes and tells us it's a full suda alright we'll change it but until then we're going to keep it as it is ok and that's, where, and that's what it says um and quickly the Yunim basically tells you the first one the Sheyavo Eliyahu basically is a normative kind of thing and Betela Da'ato Kasher Adam Davar She'en Anashim Karagil Osimoto when people do odd things that's not normally done by others or is not the right way they say Betela Da'ato his, his verdict his concept doesn't apply and we don't know the full answer but we still follow that practice. I mean, I don't really know. You, you know, we can have this argument till the end of time. But right now, this is the practice. Uh, you know, one day we'll find out, and, and that'll be Eliyahu. Um, and um, is it a common expression? Yeah, but like that, though, happens in a couple of places. Okay, you can see from Mesorah's shots. Meaning, you know, don't don't think too much. I would say, be don't think too much. You know, you can. Uh, everybody's got a klutz kasha, uh, but you know, this is what it, the, pro, the 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 answer is at this point. Should it change? I'll let you know. Okay, there's nobody in this congregation asking me those kind of questions, of course, so I don't have to worry about it. But you know, what was Batla Dato? His his view is betela. He's nullified. He's no longer meaning. You know, come on, guy, just hold on to it and leave it where it is right now. Just do what you need to do, and and that's it. And that is, this is the rule at this point. We don't do Birkat Amazon. We have a special Borei Priyagafen. Yet Shemin is not the, quite the same thing, etc. We're not quite finished with Shemin, but that's where we are at this point. Okay? Yeah. Have a good Thanksgiving. If there's anybody who didn't get a sheet from last week, I have a couple left. Thanks, thanks. Thank you. This is a great story. Thank you. Thank you. Great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Uh, I have to make another. I have to make another one. You'll be at the next class. Yeah, I'll make another one. It's just my last one. I don't want to.
Thank you. Sure. I'll bring it in next back, though, okay? Yeah, so.